0: This is Anthony Grisillo, 2014 Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, and you're listening to The New Teacher Podcast.
1: The New Teacher Podcast. Get inspired. If you're a new teacher interested in hearing about the latest tips and tricks to inspire you in the classroom, you've come to the right place. The New Teacher Podcast features interviews with award-winning classroom teachers, the latest authors, and educational leaders recognized for their proven teaching techniques and strategies. Hear the stories of their success and
2: failure. To listen to past episodes, view show notes, or to contact us, please visit our website at newteacher.org. Now here's your
1: host,
0: Anthony Arno.
1: Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Arno, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. It is my hope that you will become inspired by hearing the stories of nationally recognized teachers. Today, we have a Pennsylvania State Teacher of the Year who began his teaching career as a gifted and talented teacher who is now working as a media specialist. That's quite a unique combination. You know, it was almost a year ago that I launched the new teacher podcast, at the NJEA Teachers Convention with our very first guest, Julia Thompson, author of the First Year Teachers Survival Guide. The new teacher podcast has teamed up with You Can Do the Rubik's Cube and will be appearing together at the upcoming NJEA convention in Atlantic City on November 10th and 11th. Please stop by booth 2312 to say hello and enter to win an iPad mini. You can also reserve a free classroom loaner set of 12, 24, or 36 Rubik's Cubes for your classroom, complete with even return shipping included. I recently had the pleasure of meeting the You Can Do the Rubik's Cube team in New York in preparation of the Edward Snowden movie premiere. This Oliver Stone-directed movie portrayed Snowden as an NSA employee who smuggled out classified information through a tile in his Rubik's Cube. Days before the Snowden premiere, a mosaic of Snowden was created by using 2,160 Rubik's Cubes. Check out today's show notes page at newteacher.org to see construction of the mosaic in just 15 fast seconds. Today's show is brought to you by You Can Do the Rubik's Cube. It's the educational outreach program for the popular Rubik's Cube, which was invented by Hungarian architect Erna Rubik in 1974. Over 400 million cubes have been sold, making it one of the most popular toys of all time. And now you can use this popular icon of our culture right in your classroom. You Can Do the Rubik's Cube will provide you with a free loaner set of either 12, 24, or 36 cubes, along with an instructional DVD, curriculum guide, solution guide, posters, sign-out sheets, and certificates. For a very limited time, if you use the coupon code PODCAST, and checkout. YouCanDoTheCube.com will even provide you with a free return shipping label when you borrow up to 36 cubes so there's absolutely no cost to you. Before we talk with today's Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, I want you to hear my talk with third grade teacher Kristen Richener who is using the You Can Do the Rubik's Cube program in her classroom. Hi Kristen, how are you doing today?
2: Hi, thanks so much for talking with me.
1: Tell us a little bit about yourself. What grade do you teach, and where is your school located?
2: Okay, I teach third grade um, in Manheim Township School District in Lancaster, Pennsylvania.
1: How have you used the program You Can Do the Rubik's Cube in your classroom?
2: Last year was the first year I heard about it, and it was just a time for me um, that it was so easy to borrow sets and to come in, and so we had it as a station. And there's guides, solution guides for the students. So we introduced it whole group, and then I took small groups together and worked on it.
1: And what type of benefits have you seen in your students by using the You Can Do the Rubik's Cube program?
2: Well, first of all, the excitement. This is something new for third graders, and they were really excited. It, the excitement was palpable. Um, they spent time and energy struggling a little bit and finding it through perseverance, Um, they could excel.
1: So how did you get your materials for the program, Kristen?
2: This was so easy. Um, I sent an email to the You Can Do, the Rubik's Cube site that I just Googled, and I could pick my dates for when I wanted them to come. I was surprised at how generous the time slot was for how long my students could use them and return them, and it was free of charge. Um, I explained to the kids how they needed to take care of the materials, and they all did, and I just mailed them back.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Rubik's will send you a loaner set of either 12, 24, or 36 cubes for a period of six weeks. And for listeners on the New Teacher Podcast, if you use the checkout code PODCAST, they'll even return a free return address shipping label.
2: Well, thank you so much. Okay. You have a good day. Thanks. Okay, we'll see you. Bye. bye Bye-bye.
1: And now, here's my talk with Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, Anthony Grisillo. My guest today is the 2014 Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, and he originally taught the Gifted and Talented program at his school. Today, he's the media specialist. This is the first time we've had either an enrichment teacher or a media specialist on the new teacher podcast. Please welcome to the program, Anthony Grisillo. Anthony, how are you doing today?
0: Spectacular.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us.
0: I'm happy to be here.
1: Let's start out. Tell us a personal story about a teacher that inspired you as a student, and what do you remember the most about them?
0: This is a great question, because I, I immediately, um, sad to say, the, the, the teachers that had the most effect on me probably were the bad teachers.
1: <laughs> really? Why is uh, that?
0: Just because they left, they leave such a deep imprint on me and things that I didn't want to do uh, when I decided to become a teacher. But when I start to think deeper, I, you know there are so many teachers I could come up with that did have a positive impact on me. But there's one that always comes back to me. And after being named Teacher of the Year, I actually reached out to this teacher and thanked them for what they taught me uh, about teaching. And uh, his name was Professor Short. He was at Cecil County Community College. So this was a little bit later, obviously, in my education. But he taught history. And I never was a big fan of history because it was always about memorizing dates and facts and, and things that I just you know didn't care to sp- spend the time remembering. But he was the first teacher to take history and tie it to my to my own personal story. Um, he, he asked us in the first—I took him twice, I had for History 1 and History 2, uh, because I liked him so much. And, I, and he wasn't an easy teacher. I had to work for him, which was another piece of why I respect him. But he asked us to go ahead and research our family history and see where our family was during uh, these great moments of history and how did those moments of history affect my family personally. And then in the second semester, he asked us to research a building where we lived to see where it was during all these things as well. So he was able to take history, this, this very abstract thing to me, and personalize it and make me love it and enjoy it and enjoy learning about it. And that, that there is really the crux of all my teaching is how, how do you take things and make students care about it and, and internalize it?
1: So making it relative to the student. So when you had Professor Short, what was one moment he might have given you or a classmate to research?
0: Uh, well, I mean, a big part of it was obviously the, the depression. And it, it was great because at that time, my great aunt was still alive. Uh, she she died. I guess she was like 95 when she finally passed away about um, eight years ago. Uh, she could tell me all these awesome stories about uh, she was a St. Joe nun. Uh, so, she could tell me these stories about what it was like to be in the convent and not have certain things, and how you know certain people would they would always sneak them butter because butter was a, <laughs> a commodity, <Wow>. <laughs> and they would all they would all be happy because they had real butter in the convent but it was It was just great to hear these awesome stories from her uh, because he wanted me to learn more about what the the depression meant to those people
1: so they made it really relative, even if it was from former family members that 's pretty neat yes, do you remember the exact moment Anthony? When you decided that you wanted to become a teacher?
0: A- absolutely. Um, it, it was at the same school, Cecil County Community College. I started out as a pharmacy major at Temple. And after two years, I realized um, I loved the science, but I didn't really enjoy what I think I, what I thought I was going to end up be doing as a pharmacist. Um, so I took a step back and I reevaluated what I wanted to do. And I decided to go to community college for a year. And at Cecil County Community College, I had an intro to education course. And as part of that course, we were encouraged to go out if we wanted to uh, and participate in helping out in a, in a classroom in the area. So i chosen to go work with sixth graders uh, in a science class because I loved science. And it was that moment when I was working with those five students that the teacher actually asked me if I could help them understand some of the things they were learning a little bit better that I realized I wanted to be a teacher, you know, that that challenge of trying to find the way to make a connection to those, those students um, and help them learn to love science the way I did. And, you know, I, I was able to get all of them but one to really, you know, bite, to, to, to start to improve and to really love science. And that last one's really that was the one the moment that I realized I wanted to be a teacher because I, I needed to find better ways to help that student, the, the one that was a little more reluctant. And that challenge is really what uh, was the bug that bit me.
1: And tell us how you felt inside when you realized the other students had gotten it. For anybody listening to this program who might be considering a career in teaching,
0: that that aha moment when you see it in uh, students' eyes is is obviously one of the most rewarding things a, as a teacher. Um, especially when you know it's going to be difficult, or you know a student has had to persevere and work hard, and they finally get it. it it's it's awesome. It, it's very exhilarating, uh, but it also makes you feel good, like you're 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 doing something positive to help this student become a better person. So,
1: Well said. Now, Anthony, you began your teaching career as a teacher of the Gifted and Talented program. Tell us, what are some good qualities of a good enrichment or Gifted and Talented program? Um,
0: th- this is actually interesting. I, I was a reluctant Gifted and Talented instructor. When they, they first offered me the position, I declined um, because I had seen most programs were about doing really cool, fun activities with gifted kids um, that the reg ed kids weren't allowed to do. Uh, It was kind of like um, uh, an elitist type program, and I I didn't really want anything to do with that. Uh, When I told that to the interviewers, that was actually what they wanted to hear. They were hoping that um, I could change that aspect and make it less of an elite program. So I agreed to take the position under um, the conditions that they would let me blur that line between gifted education and regular education so for me good gifted and talented programs aren't just doing fun things with the kids it's giving them opportunities to explore things uh, that help them become better students and encouraging them to bring that back to the regular classroom to incorporate in the regular uh, class as well and also to develop moments where they can themselves teach uh, with the whole class so uh, for example um in in my third grade program years ago we would um talk about rocketry and we would talk about building rockets well the third grade did this whole space unit so we would always do one activity with the entire third grade at the end where my students were able to help be you know leaders in in the activity but we would build soda bottle rockets with every student in the grade and then have a huge launch day um i i don't believe in um, acceleration as much as I do. Um, I shouldn't say not, not acceleration. I don't, I don't like programs that skip kids ahead. Uh, I'd rather see them be taught to use, um, various, um, resources out there to be better students rather than pushing them too quickly into social, um, situations that maybe they're not ready for. And that's not to say that there aren't times where a student really is that gifted and talented that they need to be skipped a grade or something like that, that does happen. But in the 16 years that I taught gifted, I truly only met three students that I thought that was the right thing for them. And only one of those three did we actually move them ahead. Um, I've seen it happen the other side too many times that a student's been skipped ahead and it's not appropriate and they really struggle to adjust and uh, or suffer as students because of it. So to, let me sum that up. that you know, The best quality a good, gifted, and talented program to me are, are chances for truly enriching that student's education and allowing them to take that enrichment and spread it to everyone else. Okay.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen students being skipped ahead in years, at least a good 10 years, at least. And that's in my current district. I'm sure they might be doing it elsewhere. Give me an idea though of your thoughts with enrichment programs. What is the uh, difference or the benefits and what is your preference between a pullout program or a whole class inclusion program?
0: I guess it depends what your goals are. In my district, we actually used to do both. Well, we still do both. Um, when I first started, we had a pull-out program uh, from first grade through fifth. Problem was in first grade, we maybe had one student who was being pulled out. I remember from my first year teaching, I did. I had one first grader um, who would come to my room and we would do activities, which is a really difficult way to teach, by the way, because you <laughs> things that normally you would plan that would take a half hour for a full class take about 15 minutes for one to right. do But they they quickly realized that this wasn't the best use of funding and and to have me working with one student. So we turned our first grade program into a full class enrichment model where I would teach everyone stuff and, you know, I would, uh, you know, differentiate so that the the kids would have their challenge and then the other kids had uh, appropriate levels for what they were doing. Then the following year, we nixed the second grade pullout program and turned that into a full uh, class enrichment model. Then about after about five years of doing that, we changed it so we would do full class enrichment one day and then a push-in model on other days where I would go in and be given different groups. So I really I loved that aspect because I got to know all of the students and I really could see the kids who I thought needed enrichment. Now that didn't mean the data always showed that. You know, um, a lot of times the data shows a, a child um, qualified for gifted services, but they don't really need it. They're getting everything needed in the classroom. And then there's other times that the data doesn't show that they're they qualify for gifted programs and I really think they do need it just because of the type of student they are and and, and they would benefit from a program like uh, a pullout program so in our third fourth and fifth grades when the pullout began and I and I do really like the pullout program because it allowed me to take students who maybe truly truly were exceptional I'm talking about these kids who they know things and we just don't understand why they know that right and they didn't have the social skills they didn't know how to talk to other kids and i i have to uh, you know i i'm i'm very proud that i was always able to take those kids and when they left in high school they had strong groups of friends around them and they knew how to interact with other people even though sometimes they didn't understand why they couldn't understand what they did you know like there's there's always that frustration level. Of, why don't you get this i get this so easily but they were still able to interact and um have a lot of great friends. And I, I've always thought that was a, a, a because of having that pull-out program and having the time to, to really work with them in a small group environment.
1: That's interesting because sometimes you do have students with Asperger's or other social uh, disabilities who are quality students for an enrichment program. Are there programs out there with, for students who are typically very learning disabled but also gifted?
0: Absolutely. The best program should accept them. Um, If you qualify for gifted, uh, it doesn't matter if you have a learning disability, uh, you should be doing both. Now, if their disability prohibits them from um, achieving and feeling successful in the gifted program, I do always caution on the side of, all right, let's make sure that they're not going to go in here and feel inferior. You don't want to squash a student's spirits because you're putting them in a situation that you might have a little bit higher expectations or something. But I've had, uh, you know, over my 16 years, I've I've had lots of students who qualified for learning support and gifted support, and they've been able to thrive in the gifted support environment, especially in the pull-out program, because you're able to uh, really scaffold things the way you need to for them to feel successful.
1: Let's talk to the new teachers out there. What are some of the challenges that a new teacher might have in their classroom if they have a child who might be gifted or classified as beyond gifted? but they're not yet identified. What are some of the activities a new teacher can do with that child, especially the first year that they're in the classroom as a teacher?
0: Well, uh, this is actually something I, I speak a lot about to different teachers. Um, I, I had a meeting once where uh, the reg ed teacher said, I'm not doing anything different for them. They can do everything that everyone else is doing. And, you know, at that meeting, we had to look at them and say, no, wait, they, they don't need what everyone else is doing. You, you actually need to do something different for this child. So that's the first challenge I, I, I think people end up facing is all students have different needs. And whereas you wouldn't take a learning support kid and say, you need to write this, you know, six page essay when you know they can't even write two sentences. You're not going to tell a gifted kid, you've got to write two sentences. You can't write paragraphs because that's what everyone else is doing. It's, it's, an, it's an absurd notion. So, um, you know, you need to be flexible and open minded to truly differentiating. Now, the trick with that, Idea of differentiation is differentiation comes in so many different forms and models. Uh, you can't be afraid to try the different ones to uh, help gifted students be able to feel challenged and uh, succeed at school. My favorite ones are uh, you know in stuff like math and, th- and things. I love a, a pretest where uh, you, you give a really difficult problem. You don't give the easy one. If a student can do the most difficult problem you're going to be doing, they don't need the lesson you're about to teach. So it's a great way of weeding out those gifted kids that you need to give something else to right away because they can do what you're about to teach them. Uh the, the second part of that, though, is I also am a firm believer in like menus. Um, I, I like giving students choices of the types of products that they can create as part of uh, a lesson in class. You know, if you're going to tell everyone they have to write a poem, well, maybe give a couple um, different ways to write the poetry or maybe incorporate some other things like music or video to let those gifted kids have that extra challenge that they might seek out when doing a project. Uh, don't just demand from them the minimum, let them able to choose the level to which they want to achieve.
1: Now, since being named the Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, you've switched your track. Tell us a little bit about what you're responsible for teaching since being named the Teacher of the Year in Pennsylvania.
0: Well, I, I was very fortunate that I was able to choose to uh, move to be a teacher librarian in my building, which uh, the nice thing is I used to work with 70 kids a year uh, in the gifted program um, on average. And now I get to work with all 400 students in the building, which is, is a real a real nice treat. Um, when I found my first year of t- teaching in the library, I was a little um, timid at first because I didn't want to come in and rock the boat of what librarians did right away. Uh, but I, I quickly realized after my first year that I didn't have to change anything of how I was teaching in the library than what I was doing for gifted students um, all those years prior. Um, what I, 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 my goal in the library to teach is I want students to realize that the library is the one place that you can teach yourself anything. It's this incredible resource that's there that we're very fortunate to have uh, that you can learn anything you're curious about. And, and the biggest part about it is they need to learn how to vet their resources, whether it be, a, you know, a traditional book or, you know, web resources. Um, you know, I think we do follow this false presumption that every book that's written must be true because it wouldn't have been published. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, you still need to vet those resources just like you have to do uh, on the Internet. You know, I think students really do get the idea that a lot of Internet sites sites have misinformation in there and you need to find um, other resources to to, to corroborate it. Uh, But, you know, that's what I focus on in the library is, A, you can teach yourself anything here, and, B, you need to learn how to vet your resources so you're using reliable things so you can do great stuff and become incredible students and people.
1: As a teacher librarian in your building, what are the uh, grades?
0: Uh, I, I teach K through 5.
1: And do students, how often do they come to see you in the library? Is it a weekly schedule or whenever the teacher wants to come in?
0: Uh, we actually have a 12-day rotation in our, our elementary schools. We use block scheduling. So I see my students uh, pretty much every once every six days. Uh, and it's usually six days apart. I do have one or two grades because of scheduling that they might be a 5 and a 7 break uh, up but other than that it's it's pretty much every six six uh, pardon me six days
1: so when the teacher wants to come in to uh, schedule a um class with you what what does that look like does the teacher tell you what they're working on in their classroom or do you have free will to do whatever you'd like to show the students that week
0: well we actually lost the uh the that idea of collaboration that way unfortunately when we went to block scheduling um library in my district turned into a special. Um, we actually call them encores. Uh, there's a long story to that. I won't go into it. But um, during our encores is when we have gym, art, music, and library. And this is also our teacher's prep period. So we don't really get to collaborate as much that way. And that doesn't mean that we don't, like I have teachers that come down, hey, we're researching this. Can you help them get this kind of book? Or we're doing a unit on this. Can you help them get those types of books? We, we do that. But mostly I'm teaching things that I want to do, but I, I'm not teaching things directly. Um, I truly believe in creating situations where the students have to use the skills in the library to solve whatever they're doing. Um, uh, just a quick example of a type of lesson I might do. I, I had one this year I did with my fifth graders where I had them in groups and I put a critter on a, a, in a Petri dish in front of them, two little critters. And I said, can you figure out what these are? And you know immediately they went around looking for insect guides in the library to identify them. Well, the critters I gave them were termites. Now the cool thing about termites are it, well is if you use a um, big papermint no papermate pen and draw a line, the scent from the ink is the same scent that they use in their trails to lead each other to where they need to go. Really? So if you draw a circle with a papermate pen and put the termites in the middle of it, they will walk to that line and follow it around. Wow. It's really a cool thing. So, you know, I showed this to them, and, and I just asked them the question, "Why?" And I walk away.
2: <laughs>
0: so <laughs> they, uh, they, you know, the, the cool thing about activities like this is I had students that were, you know, struggling learners who just loved bugs and totally got into it right away, and they were the ones who actually were able to identify the insects. Then I had my gifted kids start posing the questions of. Well, do you think it works for other color inks? Do you think it works for a pencil? What about a marker? And you can just hear the discussions happening and then running to the computers and looking for books to try to answer questions and figure out why this was all happening. So that that's how I kind of like to teach in the library. Uh, another thing I really just started implementing are breakout EDUs. I don't know if you're familiar with these. Um, these are... Um, is kind of like escape the room activities. I don't know if you've heard of this, when you get locked in a room and you have to look for clues and you solve the clues and it lets you unlock locks and then eventually you get out of the room. Uh, well, there's a whole trend right now of using breakout EDUs where you have these boxes. I don't know why we call it breakout. It really should be break in. Uh, and they have to unlock these locks to open the box to see what's inside. So I've been able to make some of these games for the library so I can teach uh, specific library skills like uh, using finding call numbers or... Uh, finding the publishing year and stuff. And not that this is um, stuff that I think is important to become a better student, but uh, it is something that a lot of teachers expect students to be able to do, especially when you have to start writing bibliographies and stuff like that. So these are just some of the things I do in the library uh, to make it a little more more interesting and fun and uh, hands-on.
1: Cool beans. So where can I get termites to do that with my students?
0: Uh, You can get them from places like Carolina Biological and other science supply stores. Uh, if you're going to get them, you don't you don't need to get a queen because if you get a queen, you're gonna have a you know a um, <laughs> a hive, I guess uh, that's gonna last for a long time. You don't really want that. You just want the workers, and you can just keep them in a plastic. I keep them in a cl- plastic uh, cheese ball container <laughs> <laughs> uh, with it with some wood, and they they last a couple months in there. So um, you know it's it's they're fun.
1: And what is the minimum order when you order termites through Carolina Supply?
0: I think it's usually they come in sets of a hundred. <laughs>
1: I love that. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's fun. Now, Anthony, in your library, do you also have the uh, computer network? Are you also responsible for that, or is someone else responsible for the instruction of computer or the computer lab?
0: I'm not like on the books responsible, but I believe we're all responsible. So, um, I do. We do have an, you know, eight computers, desktops in the in our library. Uh, that we use all the time, and I do talk about internet safety and, and things that you should be doing online. Um, a big one I'm trying to always teach the kids is make sure you log off because it's something that they they don't always do, and it's a really bad habit to get into. But I think everything that we do with technology, you know, it should be infused in all that we're trying to do with kids because it's out there. Uh, we do have an, uh, an iPad cart and also laptop carts that I have access to that I use for different activities and uh, share with them different apps and websites that they can try to use.
1: Anthony, as the Pennsylvania State Teacher of the Year, you've traveled throughout the state to meet with teachers at all different grade levels. What was the message that you shared with them during your travels that year?
0: Um, Well, I actually had this really fun presentation that I I gave um, at most of the places that was based upon the top 10 favorite movies I have and the lessons they can teach us as teachers. Um, uh, It this came from... um, Actually, a discussion I had with an author, name is Chris Grabenstein. Uh, He wrote a book called Escape from Mr. Limoncello's Library and several other ones. Uh, But he worked with Jim Henson uh, when he was coming up. And he shared with me um, uh, a quote from Jim Henson that I I didn't know about. I guess it was a discussion that Chris had had with Jim at the time. And, And Jim had told Chris and all the writers, you better know what the lesson is because there's always a lesson. Essentially, that was the gist of the quote. I, I, I know I'm saying that slightly wrong, but Jim Henson was really, really focused on the fact that no matter what you're putting out there for kids, the kids are taking something away. So the message that I, I tried to share with teachers everywhere I went is everything we do has a message to it. Um, how we talk to our students, how we interact with other adults in front of our students, these are powerful teaching tools that you might not be intending in a lesson at that moment, but you're teaching something at that moment uh, and In my speech, I went through you know these movies, and we might not think these movies had lessons for teachers, but uh, in my top ten i I had you know uh, picked out the lessons that they do teach us as teachers because I think we're all responsible for teaching everyone in society you know
1: Give us an example of a movie that has a message you really enjoyed sharing
0: uh, well, my, my favorite movie of all time is uh, Shawshank Redemption. And um, I think the message in that one, and, and the, again, I'm going to misquote this. Um, uh, Andy Dufresne says to Red in it, uh, you know, that hope is the most powerful thing. Because Without hope, you know, what's the point, essentially? And and I really believe to be a great teacher, you, you need to be an optimist. Uh, pessimism really doesn't have any room in teaching. If you're not optimistic, what is the point? <laughs> so... Uh, that's one of my favorites because I, I, I believe that, you know, we have to hope that we can make things better because if we, if we don't have that belief, you're, you're kind of just treading water
1: in all the speeches and appearances that you made as the teacher of the year in Pennsylvania, what is one thing that you've collected during your travels that has a very special meaning to
0: you? Um, th- This is a, this is a tricky question for me to answer. I'm not going to lie. Um, The, the, the thing I've collected the most are the connections Um meeting all these people, hearing their stories uh, seeing their faces. My, my extended family that I have now across the United States, because I'm part of the um, 2015 national teacher of the year um, class that, you know, they picked that winner from he, he, those connections, those people who become part of your life and become people I can reach out to for things. That's, the most powerful thing that I've collected the most special thing uh you know I, I did go around taking selfies every at every speech I did just because it helped ease me into speaking in front of thousands of people at t- different times uh so I have that but that that was like the fun thing to do uh, the most the thing that's closest to my heart is really truly these connections I have with people now all over the place and uh those who reach out for me for favors and those of them who I go in a different state I meet up with and, and get to see their beautiful state from their point of view
1: Anthony, what is one thing that a new teacher can do tomorrow in their classroom to become more effective as a teacher?
0: Um, learn how to be the fool. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how else to say it. I think too many times teachers think that they need to know everything. Uh, they need to not make mistakes. Uh, they have to be more than human. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, You have to be able to take risks, know that you're going to fail sometimes, and be able to say, you know what, that didn't work, let's stop, we'll try this again tomorrow, and try something else and do something else that day. And if you make a mistake, not to to try to hide it, embrace it, and show how you overcome mistakes to your students. Um, I I think that's the one biggest thing you can do to become an effective teacher. You need to have a growth mindset. I mean, that's a big piece of it.
1: Great advice. Learn how to make mistakes. So tell us, what was one of the biggest mistakes that you've made during your teaching career, and what did you learn from that experience?
0: I, I think you said we only have about an hour for this, so I don't know <laughs> if I can really list them all. Uh, I, it's funny. I, there's lots of stories I can share. There, there's one moment, though, early on in my uh, teaching career that always pops into my head that I wish I could go back and redo. Um, unfortunately, unfor- or unfortunately, we had a um, – uh, accelerated math program and we were we had one student who was really really uh talented in math i mean just you know could do stuff that we we just didn't know how or why he understood it already so we just kept on uh, pushing and giving him more stuff to do well when we got to a point where they were moving on to fifth grade we didn't have a, a way to have them have the level of math that they needed so we were looking for uh other students that could make it well I always started screening some people and I found this other student and they, they qualified and I, we were able to get the district to agree to let the two of them move up to the middle school together just for math and then come back for the rest of the day. And I saw the parent of the student who had was already identified and I was like, yeah, we, we got so-and-so in. They're in. I was so excited about it. And that mom went home and told the other mom before I had a chance oh. <laughs> to tell the other mom that her son had made it in. And I, I guess the lesson to be learned is It's okay to be enthusiastic, as I am, (laughs) but just make sure you tell the right people in the right order.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. I can relate to that. As a regular classroom teacher, every year we recommend students for the following year who might be eligible for the uh, enrichment program. And sometimes you get so excited and you want to share it with the child or at the end of the year if you see the parent, but you have to just bite your tongue because nothing is guaranteed. So that's great advice. I agree. What is one book that you could recommend to our new teacher listeners that would help them become a better teacher?
0: Uh, a book that I had learned about about a year or two ago is uh, written by a guy named Troy Hicks. It's called Crafting Digital Writing, Composing Text Across Media and Genres. Uh, and the reason I love this book is um, I had, was asked, the first engagement I had, I was asked to come to as Teacher of the Year was uh, one on literacy. And if you look at my resume, science, yes, gifted, yes, math, yes literacy isn't something i would jump out of my resume that you'd say come have this guy speak about but i'm always one for stepping up to a challenge so when they said they wanted me to come speak at a literacy conference i said you know what this is what i want to come speak about is troy hicks book because troy speaks about and writes about um the fact that we we teach kids how to write persuasive writing and uh, letters and opinion pieces and all kinds of great stuff But we don't teach them how to write for things in this new digital age of writing. So uh, this book here talks about the types of digital writing that we should be encouraging students to do and teaching them how to do. You know, stuff like writing for a blog, writing an email. But more importantly to me is the ones of writing a presentation. I mean, how many times have you seen teachers go, let's have kids do PowerPoints. And they put these PowerPoints together. And yeah, they're cute and all that kind of stuff. But they're awful presentation tools. Uh, They're they're writing paragraphs on slides. There's nothing worse than going to a presentation and they have a paragraph. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, and these are those tools that we need to be giving kids so they can be successful out there in the real world. And not to mention, how do you write a website? Uh, These are all things that we should be teaching them to do. And we can incorporate that stuff in there pretty easily. And his books really do help uh, you look at that. Another great book, just to peruse if you get a chance is one called I got schooled by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, It's a great uh, analysis of uh, how we can possibly close the gap between those really low achieving schools and those who are doing a, a good job. And I don't know if his solution is the answer, but the questions he asks in it are very powerful. I think and are things we should be discussing.
1: Okay, so it's Crafting Digital Writing and I Got Schooled. We'll have both of those links on our website at newteacher.org. Anthony, what is one Internet resource that helped you become a better teacher that you could recommend to our new teachers?
0: Oh, again, this is a huge list. Um, (laughs) Top three. Well, I have to put Prezi out there. Uh, I I think our idea of linear presentations is is kind of um, old-fashioned. And kids, you know, they'll watch them and all that kind of stuff, but they're not that fun to create. And Prezi is a, a pre- online presentation software that lets you create presentations that are – they have zooming features and uh, just a different way of moving about. In the sense, you're creating an infographic that you can zoom in and out on to share your thoughts. And uh, when I first introduced that to students, they started doing things with it that I never even thought of. And that was that moment I realized, like, all right, this is a great tool that uh, we should be using. Um, another really good one, um, that I, I like that I think people should become familiar with is Kahoot. Uh, Kahoot is a great online resource where you can create, uh, I'm like say game shows is the way I would describe it. They're, they're interactive quizzes where kids have their iPads or laptops, whatever device they could have that you can click on and, um, you know, answer questions in a timed way and it collects all the data for you, which is, which is phenomenal, uh, I guess another one that goes with that would be Plickers is another great resource for that. Uh, that's where you hold up scan cards. So If you don't have the devices, you can still ask quiz questions and you use your phone and it scans the room and all the kids are holding up QR codes and it records their answers that way. Uh, and I guess the third one I would put out there is um, this isn't as much a, a an Internet resource as it is an app and just an, a, an electronic thing to be doing, Erasmus. Erasmus is augmented reality Uh, what it allows you to do is to identify trigger images and they could be book covers it could be paragraphs it could be uh pictures on the wall and what happens is it sees that trigger image and it then links it to a video clip making the image come to life so to give you a quick way that i've been starting to use this is in the library i have kids doing book reports well i'm not going to do a traditional book report to me that's kind of uh lame so What they do is they, we use two apps, we use another one called Chatterpix, where they create a video of the book cover speaking. They can draw a mouth on the book cover and it it starts to talk. Wow. And and then they read their um, book report about it and they have to do it in first person as if they're the book. So they could say something like, oh, I'm the book, The Giving Tree. I'm a great story about a a tree that gives everything to a little boy uh, throughout his life. You should read me. And then they take that app Chatterpix, animate the book cover, and then we make that book cover the trigger image. So when you come into my library and you take my iPad and you have a on it and you have to follow my channel on it, it's Mr. G's library, I believe, or something like that, um, it brings up the animated book cover so it actually looks like the book comes to life in your hand and starts talking to you. Um, It's a great app, and you can use it for so many things. We did a solar system model. Uh, that went through the uh, me- town of Media, and as you got to each poster, you could hold up the Erasmus app, and the poster will come to life with the kid's face telling you about the planet that they researched. Neat. Um, so there's a lot of great applications for it.
1: So those uh, resources that you mentioned—Prezi, Kahoot, Plicker, and Erasmus—are they all free?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and as with everything, there's always ways to spend money and get more. I, I actually pay for more in Prezi because of doing my presentations. I have a lot of video files that I embed, and I just need the extra storage. So Right. Uh, but, you know, you don't have to. There's free ones to do for all of that.
1: well, that's a great resource. Thank you. Do you have an inspirational teaching quote to share with our listeners today?
0: I You know, and I don't know if this quote's going to be right, but, you know, one of the most influential – teachers for me, uh, as a Hollywood teacher, would be Jaime Escalante. Um, He was featured in the movie Stand and Deliver. And uh, I know the quote has gotten mixed up a little bit, um, but, uh, you know, he always says, students will rise to your expectations. Um, I, I really put a lot of weight on that because, you know, if we don't expect our kids to do great things, why would they ever try? So I think you do need to have high expectations and think that they can do anything they set their minds to. Uh, This does get coupled with another quote from Albert Einstein that I love. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Um, and, And I tell my students this all the time, like you can know every fact in the world. And all that means is that you will kill people when you play Trivial Pursuit and you'll probably be awesome on Jeopardy. But if you can't think of something new to do, there's, there's no use to all that information. I mean, that's why in Bloom's taxonomy, uh, the, the synthesis uh, and the, the creation has become the top one. Um, because if you can create something new, that's, that's really what we need to be able to do.
1: Two great quotes. Students will rise to your expectations, and imagination is more important than knowledge. Anthony, what's the best part about being a teacher?
0: I've been actually talking a lot about this. I just got finished writing a, um, an essay blog post or something. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I'm putting it out there soon. But um, we don't talk enough about the emotional investment we have as teachers. Um, you hear a lot of discussion all the time about the, how much time teachers spend. Yeah, we do spend a lot of time. But there's something else that teachers do that not enough um, focus is ever given to. Is We are emotionally invested in our students. This is good and bad. When something horrible happens to them, it really hurts. It hurts us a lot. Uh, and thankfully, hopefully that doesn't happen too often in your teaching career. Uh, unfortunately, it happens more often than it should. But the the flip side of that coin is the pride that we can feel in the accomplishments of our students. Uh, I was lucky enough to go uh, to Hawaii this year for the Pro Bowl because my wife won a, a free trip. to Wow. The- yeah, talk about a great, great treat. It, it was a whirlwind trip. We li- I literally left after teaching on a Thursday. And came back home Tuesday morning to go into to teach. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> How did you win yeah. that trip?
0: Uh, it was, we go down to the Eagles all the time. And uh, if you sign up to be a designated driver like we do, they put you into raffles to win prizes. And she got to win it um, through that. Wow. Uh, but the cool thing is when we got to Hawaii, I got to do two things. One, I got to reach out to the Hawaiian Teacher of the Year, and she was able to show us around, and that was fabulous. But the second thing was I got to reach out to a former student uh, who's a lieutenant in the Navy. And... He he, you know, gives me credit for developing his love of math and, and also for rocketry. He he went to school to be able to you know do great stuff with that. Well, now he's a, a, essentially a lieutenant on a, a submarine. This I think it's the USS Mississippi, and it's actually just over uh, moving over towards North Korea, I believe. Uh, I saw on the news. He um, but he was able to give us this tour of this nuclear submarine. And we're walking around this. Well, first, we're walking onto the base. And as we're walking on there, everybody's saluting him. And I couldn't help but feel this pride of what this, a great is, this, this is one of my kids. This, yes. is, this is one of my students here. And then he brings us on to the nuclear sub. Now, my wife was a little reluctant at first. She was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I really need to go see or meet your student. But then even she started to feel it when we got there. And to go around this sub and hear him speak about the things that he knows and understands and he has to be able to do. You know, we, we, we go on the sub and he's able to talk about the the things that work on the sub in ways that I I always even have a tough time comprehending. Like he just knows so much stuff and the, the apply all he's learned. And, you know, he's bringing us into the torpedo room, tapping on the torpedoes. And I'm going, please don't do that. <laughs> I know they're not going to explode, but I don't want you to tap on them. You know, but then the, to give us this tour of the inside, it was this amazing uh, of everything that he's responsible for, and you know that's one of my students. That that's the best thing about being a classroom teacher is I know that I've touched the future. Like there's there's no two ways to describe it. You know we touch the future. We change what the world's going to be like because of what we do. That that that's that's it.
1: And that's a great qu- quote. I teach. I touch the future, which was said by Krista McAuliffe, who was the teacher in space. And if you go back to listen to episode 15, our guest was June Scobie. Her husband was the commander of the Challenger Space Shuttle. And in that episode, she talks about Krista coming up with a quote. And June said, that's a great quote. I teach, I touch the future.
0: Excellent quote.
1: And you're also right about when when your students come back to you years later, it's as if they are one of your own children, whatever they might be doing. And every so often, you'll have a student come back and tell you they're in the classroom as a teacher. Now, I've been in the classroom for just over 25 years, and what a great feeling it is to hear that I have former students who are teaching around the country.
0: Absolutely. Same here.
1: We'll be right back with the final period before the final bell after this message from Teacher Lingo. Teacherlingo.com is an online marketplace
0: where educators can buy, sell, and share teaching resources with one another while earning royalties as high as 85%. Standard membership is absolutely free and
1: allows you to earn a higher commission compared to other sites. Premium membership is only $49 and allows you to earn 85% royalty with zero transaction fees. Whether you're a new teacher or a veteran teacher, why not supplement your income with proven activities and lesson plans that you've already created at TeacherLingo.com? Okay, we're back with the final period before the final bell. Are you ready, Anthony? Absolutely. Morning person or night owl? Both. Mac or PC? Both. Favorite book from your childhood?
0: Uh, Lord of the Rings Trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien.
1: First paying job?
0: I worked for my dad in our family supermarket.
1: One television show you try to watch every week.
0: I really don't watch that much television every week. I DVR it, but Game of Thrones was my hot one just recently.
1: Latest music download or a song playing on your iPod.
0: Uh, I just got to see Sting and Peter Gabriel uh, a couple nights ago, so I've been listening to that a lot.
1: One famous person that you invite for dinner, either living or dead.
0: I initially would have said Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I think I'd rather have Carl Sagan since they could be dead because Neil was one of his students. And I really think Carl Sagan is one of the greatest teachers we've ever had.
1: It's a snow day here in Pennsylvania. What will you do with this unexpected day off from school?
0: I'd shovel snow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the next item on your bucket list.
0: I actually don't believe in bucket lists. Uh, I'm one of those people that I think that every day is a gift. So I'm going to do everything I can today. That is just going to be amazing. Um, I take advantage of any opportunity given my way. Uh, so that's really my bucket list is to keep on taking advantage of everything I can.
1: And there's the final bell. Anthony, how can our listeners get in touch with you?
0: Well, you can follow me on Twitter at @spaceTeach. Space Teach. That's S-P-A-C-E-T-E-A-C-H. Uh, or you can just go to my website and contact me through there. And that's MrG'sWorld.com. That's M-R-G-S-W-O-R-L-D.com.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, and best of luck to you.
0: I just really appreciate uh, this opportunity. Awesome. Thank you, Well, you have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. Thank
1: you, Anthony. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Anthony. Who would ever think that a librarian would pull out termites to motivate their students? Next episode of the new Teacher Podcast, I talk with Matt Miller. Matt is the author of the book, Ditch That Textbook. And here's a sneak preview of my talk with Matt. ...about how he ultimately decided it was time to ditch that textbook. So Matt, as a classroom Spanish teacher, what caused you to eventually ditch the textbooks?
0: It was the bored look in my students' eyes.
1: (laughs) Describe that look. Why? Yeah,
0: no, seriously, that's exactly what it was. Um, And I I can give you a, a specific moment when I knew that it had to happen... Um, you know, this isn't who I want to be as a teacher. This isn't what I want to be known for as a teacher. And I knew something had to change. And I realized that my boring teaching methods were just not cutting it. And the more that I started to look at it, then I started to realize, you know, just this whole traditional teach out of the book, do the questions at the end of the chapter and the worksheets and the workbook pages, it just isn't cutting it. I knew something had to change. And that's, that's where it all started, I think.
1: Matt Miller ditch that textbook next time on the new teacher podcast well, i hope you enjoyed today's show please remember to leave us a rating and review on itunes and remember we'll be at booth number 2312 at the upcoming njea teachers convention along with you can do the rubik's cube well that's our 17th show and thank you for listening this is the new teacher podcast and i'm your host anthony arno be well